Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. This morning, to wrap up our speakers series, um, we have a very special guest with us. As you know, practically all the guests we have come in, are, are we know personally, we know their background, we know who they are as individuals. And today uh, is a very special guest with Bishop Daryl Harris. Bishop Harris plays a key role in the city of Detroit, involved with both the mayor's office as well as the uh, Detroit Police Department. He is the pastor of TLC, Total Life Church. Um, He is probably, without doubt, one of the deepest people I know in regards to the scripture. Um, He is someone who has been uh, literally as a brother to me in this whole season of time. For years now, as we partner together in Detroit and the Osborne community and all that's been part of that, he's a musician. He's uh, one of the funnest people I know uh, just to get together in general with, but as I said, also one of the deepest. Um, We have been at funerals together uh, for victims of violence uh, that he's officiated at and that that I've joined him at in Detroit. He is part of leading that um, for both ending violence as well as uh, assisting victims of violence. Um, he has been the founder of the Faith-Based Coalition, of which we are part of, of Detroit. Um, all around, I, I can't even begin to add all the different things that he's been part of. Um, for those of you the Michigan State people, you have a reason to hate him. He's a University of Michigan guy. Uh, he and his wife both. But I'm going to ask that you would please very warmly welcome my brother, Bishop Daryl Harris. Thank you. I'm, first of all, of course, always glad to be here at Rock Point. Rock Point is my family, all right? So I'm really glad to be here this morning. My wife, uh, Pastor Watrice, she's taking care of services over at Total Life Christian Ministries, our church. Uh, wanted to be here this morning, but someone has to hold down the fort. And I am so fortunate that uh, just about 25 years almost, uh, She's been there for me, uh, and I'm very, very grateful for her. Amen. Um, you've seen uh, my daughter was here on stage today. Uh, always great, because uh, I had to make sure to watch this time. I wasn't paying attention earlier, and I kind of messed some things up. So, um, But she was up here on stage. It's always great to see your children worshiping God, and you don't have to make them. They have their own relationship with God, and uh, they are very much connected. So she's here today. My son stayed. Uh, He's more of a mama's boy, uh, like I was. So he stayed at home uh, with mom. 
And it's uh, all of our TLC family that's here. Just a few of them has come today. Uh, Chrissy is my administrator of the church there. That's her husband, Sean, who's just my friend. People say, well, is he a minister? Is he an armor bearer? He's my friend. Uh, and I'm very grateful to have him as a friend, my goddaughter, godson there, all of, just my whole TLC family. Thank you, everyone, for inviting me. You guys keep bringing me back, so I'm doing good. My wife was like, just go over there. You're going to do great. They love you at Rock Point. You love them, so just don't mess it up. And so I'll make sure that I not mess it up this morning. Uh, if you would, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so very much this morning for giving me this opportunity to be in this space today. I thank you because you are awesome and you are God and God alone. I pray that in this moment you would give me the words to say that would be encouraging to your people and that will, oh God, fill their hearts and replace all the other things all the other debris that may be taking place. I pray that you would give us that today by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two scriptures, well, one that I want to read in two different translations of the scripture. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And I found them in the King James Version, and I also am going to read them in the Message Bible. Pastor Randy is very, very good at this, right? He orchestrates things. I'm kind of a spin-off-the-cuff person, and that's why I married a person that's organizational, because I have no organization skills whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> so if we would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. I'll read from the King James Version first, and then I'll read from the Message Bible the same actual chapter and verses. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. That's the King James Version. And I'll now read the same chapter and verses from the Message Bible. When the Philistines heard that Israel was meeting at Mitzpah, the Philistine leaders went on the offensive. Israel got the report and became frightened. Philistines on the move again. They pleaded with Samuel, pray with all your might and don't let up. Pray to God, our God, that he'll save us from the boot of the Philistines. Today, I want to talk to you from very simple subject matter. Two words. Go harder. Go harder. Now, one of the things that I have noted about the times in which we live and I don't think anyone would disagree with me. The world is in trouble again. <laughs> it's not a mystery. It's no scientific equation that you have to figure out what went wrong. But I think everyone can agree. If you turn on the news, 
if you step out of your house, you know, even if you live in a box these days, trouble is going to find you there. Trouble is one of those things that you don't have to go looking for. My dad used to tell me all the times, I promise you, son, you don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble is already looking for you. There are only three types of people in the world. That's those who are in trouble, those who just got out of trouble, and those who are on their way to trouble. (laughs) Trouble doesn't care about your economic status. Trouble doesn't care about where you live. Trouble doesn't care about the color of your skin. Trouble doesn't care about your employment. Trouble doesn't care about what kind of car you drive. Trouble cares about none of that. It doesn't care about whether you're married, whether you're single. It doesn't care about whether you're young or whether you're old. Trouble is going to come. So one of the things that Jesus kind of promises us and says, hey, offenses will come. So just get over it. There's <laughs> no way to avoid it. There's no way to ignore it. And I think that with all of the P's that we're dealing with right now, Pastor Randy and I often laugh about it. We talk about all the P's of trouble in this world. Talk about police brutality, political unrest, (laughs) public uh, upheaval, pandemics, if you ain't got something else to throw in there, right? You know, (laughs) all these things that are going on brings trouble. And what I have found out is that the problem is not so much trouble surrounding us. How many people in here have been in trouble before? It's not about trouble happening because we know that trouble will happen. Our problem is that we don't allow trouble to just happen around us. We actually allow trouble to get into us. And as believers, Jesus says this is a problem. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, I know trouble is going to happen around you, but let not your heart be troubled. We have to live a life where although trouble is breaking out all around us, police brutality, public upheaval, political unrest, pandemics, although all these things are happening around us, we have to position our hearts that we are not so distracted, not so worn down, not so torn up, that we allow the trouble that's happening around us to start happening in us. We've got to fortify our hearts because if we don't, we'll let trouble into us. And now we can't sleep at night. Now we're up watching the news all the time. We're spending more time talking about the things that's going wrong instead of the fifth P that we all need to be talking about, which is praising God. The Bible says in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But we're so distracted by the trouble that we've allowed to get into our hearts that in this moment, the church is left almost without a voice. And it's great because at first I used to misquote this scripture because I thought it said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then I found out that it was my insecurities that added the if. It was my way of giving God some space to mess up or giving myself some space to not believe. 
But Jesus says, no, there's no if. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. The profoundness of this is that Jesus says, I am speaking to an audience whose faith is already settled. I am talking to a group of people, not who are wondering about what God can do, but I'm talking to a group of people that have experience with God. They've been through trouble before, and they know that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God, he delivers us from them all. And so everyone that raised their hand in here, when I asked if you've ever been in trouble, if you raised your hand, you should be praising God right now because you went through trouble. And it's greater to go through trouble than it is to get stuck in trouble. And I believe that this is the position that Christ is saying. There are some things that just need to be settled in your faith. No, you are not going to survive this moment if you're not truly sure about who God is or what you believe. He said, you've got to believe in God. And it is the only thing, it is the foundational thing that is going to cause your heart to not be troubled. People say, well, what do I need to believe? What are my foundational beliefs? Well, Hebrew 11 and 6, that's your first foundational belief. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, hey, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because if you're going to be pleasing to God, the first thing that your belief has to settle on is that God is. And that God is a reward of those who diligently seek him. That needs to be your first foundational belief as a Christian, as a believer. And it's the first thing that's going to settle your heart. The second foundational belief that you need to have is right here in John 14 and 1. Let's you know, not only can you believe in God, the Father, but you can also believe that Christ is his son and that Christ was sent to formulate redemption for our sin. And then the third belief that you can stand on, that even this scripture is resting on, that will keep your heart from filling up with trouble and trouble beginning to infect your life, you can find in Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that he's been risen from the dead, you shall be saved. This is fundamental Christianity belief 101 and all three of those, and there are many others that can go with it, but those are foundational beliefs and principles in Christ that if you believe them, you don't have to worry about avoiding trouble or ignoring trouble. You can survive trouble and overcome trouble because it'll never make it into your heart. Life doesn't begin to change until we know what to do with trouble. And today I'm telling you this chapter 7 of 1 Samuel because I want you, all of you, those of you who are here, those of you who are viewing over social media, I want you to be able to fortify your heart against trouble in these troublesome days because I would love to promise you that they're going to get better. I would love to promise you that they're soon going to be brighter. I would love to promise you that depending upon who wins the election, everything is going to be all right. I would love to promise you that all the protesting is going to go away. I would love to promise you that there's never going to be another police officer anywhere that's going to do anything wrong. I would love to make you those promises, but they would all be unbiblical promises and they would all be false. The truth of the matter is that trouble comes, but we are believers of God. And we know what to do when trouble comes to us. 
And these are the foundational beliefs upon which we stand. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, very quick read, very sure read, won't take you long at all. I promise you, it's a very interesting story. When you get home, you can read the entire thing. I just want to pull and extract from 1 Samuel chapter 7 just, you know, five principal things you can do to fortify your heart against trouble and to kick trouble out of your heart if it already has occupied it. How many people want to get trouble out of your heart, get some sleep at night, turn the news off? Doesn't matter what anybody says, doesn't matter what anybody does. We have a foundational belief in God, and therefore our hearts are not troubled. I want to be the kind of believer that can smile in the face of adversity. I want to be the kind of believer that doesn't waver, that doesn't doubt. For the Bible tells us that if we doubt God's ability, if we doubt God's power, if we doubt God's presence, then the one thing that we can be assured of is that we can't receive anything from him. I don't ever want to be in a position where I cannot receive something from God. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, very interesting story, starts out with the children of Israel. They know where they are. They're dealing with the Philistines again. Israel seems to really mimic the world in this. I said earlier, the world is in trouble again. Israel is in trouble again. The church is in trouble again, right? They're facing trouble. And out of this trouble, I want you to get these fortifying factors that will help you Guard your heart, help you guard your mind, help you keep trouble out. The first thing that we know about 1 Samuel chapter 7 is we learn that if we're going to overcome trouble and keep it out of our hearts and out of our minds, then we've got to stay in the presence of God. Everyone say, stay in the presence of God. We've got to stay. Stay in the presence of God. The first thing that you find out is they tell us where Israel is, and then they tell us that Israel is sad. And the reason why Israel is sad is because they can tell that there is something different about their worship. They can tell that there is something different about their quality of life. They're still going through the motions. They're still having church. But the one thing that is missing, the one power that's missing, the one presence that's missing is God. Because the Ark of the Covenant has been caught and it's in somebody else's house. It's in the enemy's house, but it's not with them. We live in a day where people are not even sensitive enough to realize when they may be going through the motions, but they may be missing the presence of God. And so they realize this and they're sad about it. They're so sad about it that they begin to weep about it. And it's gone away from them. The presence of God has gone away from them for 20 years. That's a long time to be without the presence of God. They're still singing. They're still dancing. They're still doing their services. They're still making their sacrifices. But at the same time, they realize the presence of God is gone. And they have attached the presence of God to the result of their victory over their enemies. And that's a lot of times what we don't realize. Having the presence of God in your life every single day is important because it is the only sure way that you can know 
that you'll have victory over the enemy and victory over trouble. So they realize, hey, we need the presence of God. Now, the the presence of God is close enough to them where they know where it is. But it's too far away from them for them to be able to enact the presence of God in their everyday life. And we need to be close enough to God and have the presence of God close enough to us that it impacts us every single day. The presence of God impacts the way we talk. It impacts the way we walk. It impacts the way we treat each other. It impacts the way we receive things. And most certainly, it impacts the way that we deal with trouble when it comes. And so if we don't have the presence of God in our lives, how are we supposed to stand up against trouble when it arrives? What are we supposed to do? We'll be confused. We'll be in array. We'll be disappointed. We'll be depressed. We'll be saddened. We'll be destroyed. We'll be, it'll be messed up. And and so we've got to get the presence of God back. So the first thing I need you to do, if you're really going to keep trouble out of your heart, is I need you to make a commitment to yourself that I've got to stay in the presence of God. I will not give the presence of God up for anything or anybody. I make mistakes sometimes. No, I am not perfect. But if, in fact, I find myself talking about the problems of the world more than I'm talking about the praiseworthiness of God the Father and God the Son and God Holy Spirit, then it means that somewhere I have lost his presence. I've let it go, and I need to get it back immediately. And that's what they determined. So after 20 years, somebody said, hey, got a good idea. Maybe we should ask someone who works for God. (laughs) How do we get them back? And that's my second point. You want to know how to deal with trouble? Then always submit to spiritual leadership. They understood that this was a moment that they needed to go to someone who has experience with God and who has a relationship with God. Experience with God and a relationship with God. See, a true leader is going to do more than just preach at you. A true leader is going to do more than just teach at you. A true leader is going to get in there and build you and help the relationship between you and God. A true leader can even fall off himself sometimes or fall off herself sometimes, but it's okay because they've got the secret sauce. They know how to get back in the presence of God. And you can go around the world. It's a whole lot of information out there. One of the things that this pandemic has brought forth is I've turned on Facebook and I get to see people preach who I've never seen before. (laughs) They've never graced a seminary. They've never taken time to study the word of God, but they're out there. And they've got people actually listening and people watching. I'm saying to you, please don't get caught up in every wind and doctrine. You've got to find some leadership that you can submit to because leader, a good leader, is not just going to tell you when you're right. A good leader is also going to correct you when you're wrong. But they're going to stay there to walk it through with you. And I thank God, and I think this is a good place to put at least a 15-second hand clap of praise for good leadership. Amen. And so you have to always submit to spiritual leadership. So they turn to Samuel, and they say, hey, Samuel, Sam, Sammy, Sam, good old Sam. 
So we realized that the last 20 years, we've been doing everything, it's not been working. We realized it's because we don't have the presence of God with us. And we were just wondering, since you have a relationship with God, if there, you could tell us what we need to do. And it leads to the third point. Clear your life from the clutter. You need to clear the clutter out of your heart, out of your mind. Too many distractions going on. Samuel looks at them and says, well, you thought you were asking a hard question. Let's, let's talk about the reason why the presence of God is not here. Because, see, you want to blame it on the enemy. But the truth of the matter is you're a victim of your own consequence. God said in the first commandment, I will have no other gods before me. Now, when God says that, he uses the word before me, but he's really talking about anywhere near him. God is not going to deal with any other gods, any other distractions, any other thing that you pay more attention to than you do him. And so Samuel looks at them and says, if you really want to get God back, you can't just continue to do the things you're doing without doing this. You're going to have to first get rid of those old gods. You're going to have to first get rid of those other distractions. The crazy thing about this pandemic is that I'm not saying God did it. I'm not saying that God caused it. But I am saying God uses everything. Everything bends to his glory. It doesn't matter whether Satan comes up with it or not. Even Satan can come up with stuff and God's like, yeah, I knew you're going to do that and I'm going to use it to do this. And so he says, you've got to get rid of those other distractions. This pandemic has emptied out a lot of distractions. All my sports watchers, you know, used to hurry up and get home from church because you had to watch that game. And now (laughs) you don't know what to do. (laughs) I've seen grown men crying. Uh, because they don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do with this, right? Even the stories and the, and the movies, the actors don't know how to get together to shoot movies anymore. Everything is going crazy. You know, I've been telling people all today and even before how fast time is going now. I don't even know what day it is sometimes. I have to ask someone else. Thank God for these little gadgets or whatnot. I don't know what day because Monday looked like Sunday and Tuesday looked like Friday. I mean, who knows, right? And now the kids aren't in school school. So now I really don't have a way to tell. As a matter of fact, my empty nest, it filled back up really quickly. I was like, I just got to enjoying it, <laughs> right? <laughs> no offense, uh, children. Uh, <laughs> you know, but all these things are happening. And what we've done is we're being shown how these things have become distractions. And now all these things are emptied out. And God, I believe, is trying to send a message to his people. You've allowed other things to distract you. Now what I need you to do is get rid of all those distractions, all those things you've been paying more attention to, and get back to serving your God. We've got to declutter our hearts. It's too much stuff in there. We've got to declutter our mind. It's too much stuff in there. We've got to get all that stuff out. If we really want God to come back, we've got to make room for him to come back because God is not going to share space in our heart. He's not going to share space in our mind. He's not going to share space in our wheels with any other thing that we're going to give attention to that's going to take attention away from him. So that's the third thing, and Samuel says this, and it's amazing because as Samuel is talking on these lines, they're like, all right. And so they do all of this, right? They go to get rid of all the other guys and everything, and they get rid of all the other distractions, and they come back, and they're like, all right. 
So we did everything. We submitted to your leadership and, and we recognized that we need the presence of God and we're seeking that. We got rid of all these things, but the presence of God still has a return. What do we need to do now? Now led us to the fourth thing. Samuel says we need to come together and pray. Because no matter what else goes on in life, this is one thing I can assure you of. Prayer works. When we come together and pray, let me tell you, mountains tremble. When we come together and pray, let me tell you that the knees of the enemy begins to weaken. We may not see things immediately. We may not see things directly. But Jesus says if we pray in faith and asking things in his name, the Father grants it. And if the Father grants it, he said, we can speak to that mountain and say, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And it may not happen in my lifetime. It may not happen in your lifetime. But at some point in time, it's going to happen because the word of God has made promises to us. And you know if we can speak to mountains with just a mustard seed size of faith in our hearts and praying and asking God, then you know that the problems and the troubles and the struggles that we deal with on this planet are nothing in comparison to a mountain. But we have to be in a position where we're willing to come together and pray. And I've seen churches, I think it's kind of a distraction, right? Because I want us all, I want you to wear your mask. I want you to wear your hand sanitizer. I want you to do your six-foot distancing. I mean, I do. I want you to take care of yourselves. I want you to do everything that you can do. But please don't be fooled to think that those things can save you. There is only one help. And there is only one hope, and his name is Jesus. I was reading the news, uh, news uh, uh, citing the other day, and they were talking about how there's a large recall on face masks. Then a little bit after that, I read another article that said there's a large recall on hand sanitizer. I said, next, I'm going to be reading the FDA is going to be saying, hey, send us back that social distancing six foot. You know, we're going to need that back. You know, I mean, because you can't put your trust in these things. You can only put your trust in God, only put your trust in Christ. And that means that we have to come together and pray. We may not all be able to come to the same building and pray, but I thank God for technology because it means that we can still pray together. Don't be singled out. That's what the enemy wants to do, wants to draw you away. Because if he can draw you away, he can surround you with trouble, and eventually it'll get into your heart and it will distract you from what is necessary in God and serving God. But Samuel said, we need to come together and pray in mitzvah. And then the fifth thing is, even after they had done all that, they said, the presence of God still isn't here. And Samuel's like, that's okay, because now what I need to do is I need to judge you. The fifth thing we need to do is always be open for correction. Always be open for adjustment. This kind of judging that Samuel is doing in First. Uh, Samuel chapter 7 is not judgmental. He's not just there beating them over the head, telling them what they did wrong and condemning them for it as if they can never get it right. True righteous judgment means that a spiritual leader is standing there and yes, they're telling you where you went wrong, but they're also showing you where you can get it right and then they stay there to help you get it right. That's the kind of judging that he was doing. But it was so important because, you know, we want to get the presence of God back in our lives, but we don't want anybody to tell us where we went wrong. And it's impossible for us to get it together if someone doesn't tell us where we went wrong. 
there is some place in our life that maybe we didn't make a right turn. Maybe we didn't make a right decision. Now everything will be all right. And the comfort is that Jesus saves. But first, what we have to do if we want his presence back, we've got to put ourselves in a position where we're willing to be corrected. Now, all of this is going on, and they've done all of these things, and you would think that trouble would say, hey, I am not going over there. But remember, at the start of this message, I told you that we are not trying to avoid trouble, we're not trying to ignore trouble, and we're not trying to destroy trouble. What we're trying to do is handle trouble. We're trying to make sure that trouble doesn't infect us by getting on the inside of us. And so they are like, we did all these things, and yet we still hear that the enemy is gathering themselves so that they can attack us. And it's so funny the way that they said it, (laughs) Because at the top of this, they were without the presence of God, and they were without the presence of God because they had turned on God, because they had gotten other gods and other distractions. But as soon as they heard that the enemy was coming, guess what they said to Samuel? They said, we don't need you to do anything new. We don't need you to do anything different. We don't need you to come up with anything scientific. All we need you to do is keep doing what you're doing. Just do it stronger. Just do it more. Just go harder. They said, Samuel, we heard that our enemies are coming and we are afraid. So Samuel's like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, Just keep praying, but pray harder. (laughs) Just keep calling on the name of the Lord, but do it harder. And see, this is where we get it wrong. This is where we mess up. Because usually when trouble comes to us and we become fearful and we become frightened, we think we have to come up with something new because we say, oh, I already prayed about it. Or, oh, I already heard this message. Or, oh, I already served in this area. Or, oh, I already forgave this person. And we feel like, hey, once I've done it, if the enemy is still coming, then maybe I need to do something else. But what this scripture teaches us is the children of Israel were wise. They said, we don't have time to come up with anything else. We know prayer works. We know the fellowship works. We know the coming together works. We know the serving God works. We know the opening our hearts for correction works. We know that all this stuff works. All we need you to do is keep doing the same thing you've been doing. Stop acting like you don't know what to do. You know what's worked for you in the past. I just need you to go harder. Because when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. We don't stop because trouble comes. We intensify our stance. We fortify our stance. If we've never been for the Lord, we are most certainly going to show that we're for the Lord now in the midst of pandemics and public unrest and political unsavviness and all the things that's happening. Is now the time for the church to go harder. I know you're tired. I know you're feeling like maybe it hasn't worked for a long time. I know you feel like some days giving up. I know some days are confusing for you. But God is saying this is the time to go harder than you've ever gone before. Go harder in your praying. Go harder in your teaching. Go harder in your studying. Go harder in your serving. Go harder in your worship. While all of that trouble is going on around you, this is not the time to faint. This is not the time to quit. This is not the time to turn to something different. You're dealing with the same enemy that you've been dealing with all your life. This is the time for you to go harder. And each time that trouble comes, you go harder and harder. And the funny part was, 
that, you know, at the beginning of this, you know, the reason that they didn't have the presence of God was because they had all of these other gods with them. (laughs) But guess what? When the enemy was coming, (laughs) they said, pray that our God (laughs) helps us. Wait a minute. (laughs) Samuel's like, what are you talking about? When we first started, he wasn't your God. Remember, you had replaced him. But see, real believers know we may have a temporary memory lapse and we may go out there and let some distractions get in. But when real trouble comes, we know we need a real God. We don't need an idol. We don't need something that gives us temporary or momentary comfort. We need a real God that can step in. And this was so significant a story that when the enemy was coming against them, because they convinced Samuel to pray harder, to go harder, to not quit, to intensify, to deepen his prayer and his worship to God, that they might have the victory. Guess what happened? God intervened. God got in between where the enemy was coming from and where they were going harder, and God stopped the enemy before the enemy ever even got into their camp. And I'm saying to you that this is the secret of being able to respond to trouble. Keep it out of your heart. Keep it out of your mind. The way you do it is you already know what to do. It's been working for you since you've been a believer. Weariness is trying to set in and tell you that it doesn't work. If it hasn't worked in all that time, maybe you need to pray differently. Maybe you need to worship a different God. Maybe you need to start reading other doctrines. Maybe you need to start sampling other stuff. I am here to tell you the Spirit of the Lord is here to encourage you and tell you you're not doing anything wrong. It just means you got to press in. You got to go harder. You got to do it more because God is saying, I want you to go harder. Ebenezer is that place. Put a stone there. That stone was a commitment that they were committed to going harder for God because that was the place where God helped them because they were going harder. I want you to stand with me right now as I pray, and I'm asking you to pray with me and make a commitment in this prayer that I won't quit when trouble comes. I won't let trouble into my heart. I am committed to going harder in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity of being able to bring this word to your people. I pray and ask you to band yourself against discouragement, against fear, against depression, against sadness, and any other thing that has caused us to be waxing of heart, to not stand up against the trouble and keep ourselves fortified in your word and our belief in you that everything is all right. I ask that as we make this commitment today as a portion of your body, that you would use it and receive it. And Holy Spirit, if you would help us to live by this commitment and to keep it, we promise that we'll glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a communion together as a uh, congregation, and you can remain standing. You may sit. We're going to have the group lead us in uh, worship a bit here. Uh, I want you to be careful. There's two actual steps. One is a very light uh, wrapping that you take off to reveal the uh, bread, and then a heavier one that you'll do to take the cup, and just be careful with that. 
We're going to wait and we're going to take of it together. Now, our policy is an open communion. You do not have to be a member of this congregation. You do need to be a follower of Christ. And so the band's going to lead us as we take a moment to prepare ourselves, both physically here with this, but also just in your heart and mind as we consider um, what the Lord has shared through Bishop this morning and as we process also um, the very real presence. You know, he talked about the old things. This is something that links us with believers around the world and 2,000 years back in time. And before that, for the Jewish people, another two or 3,000 years or so um, that they would have celebrated the Passover meal, of which this was just the forerunner, that was the forerunner of. And so as the band leads us, take a moment to quiet your heart. You may sit, you may stand. You can join in the song or you can let it wash over you. But consider carefully what we're about to participate in, okay? Lord, guide us in this moment. Make your presence known, I pray. Amen. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before his ultimate sacrifice, he gathers with his disciples and they prepare the Passover meal that the Jews had done for generations. But in the midst of it, he... He makes clear what it was ultimately for. And he takes a piece of bread and he breaks it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Lord, this morning we come before you. And Lord, whether we are in this place right now gathered, or whether we are across the state or across the country even scattered, we are one in you. All divisions fall away, political, racial, educational, financial, all fall away at the feet of Christ. We are one before you, and we are healed and restored by you. So, Lord, take our brokenness this day and restore us, we pray once again, as we recognize your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Shall we take together? And in like manner, Jesus also seated at the table with the disciples, took the cup and lifted it and blessed it before them. And then he said, take, drink all of it, for this is my blood, which is shed for the remission of your sins. Father, we thank you for your son, Christ. And we know that the purpose of his body being broken was only that we might receive the remission of our sins through the power of his cleansing blood. I pray today that in the midst of a world of iniquity, a world of sin, a world where it's so easy for us to be soiled and to be stained, that your blood would cover us all as we call upon the name of Jesus, that every man be saved in Jesus' name. Thank Bishop. Um, he has just been a phenomenal partner, he and the entire group. Um, Father, right now, I ask your blessing upon Bishop. I ask, Father, that you'd watch over him. There are so many situations he walks into that are volatile, that are difficult, that are tense, that are even dangerous. So, God, I ask protection upon him, upon his entire family. 
I pray, God, that you would continue to guard him physically, but also spiritually and also emotionally, Lord God, that you would encourage him and his whole household. We lift up TLC as a, as a sister church, as fellow believers, that you just minister to that entire congregation. Father, we lift up our city to you as a whole. We ask God for this entire region, for our nation, God, at such a time as this. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for what you have for us as a people going into this new season of ministry, strange as it may be. There are exciting possibilities within it, so guide us in that, Lord, I pray. We commit all these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Labor Day, folks.